This talk was given by Ron Hogan Green Sensei at Zen Mountain Monastery. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of the Zen Center of New York City. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon. I wanted to choose a koan that has relevance to us in our practice, to what faces us uh, in the society and in our sangha. Uh, and um, that rests on um, the wisdom and understanding that emerges from this practice and yet um, functions. It's alive. So this is case number 52 in the 300 Cohen Shobo Genzo, uh, which uh, is 300 koans from Master Dogen's Shobo Genzo that uh, Daito Roshi and Kaz Tanahashi translated. We okay? So in the main case, Sanshin asked Suifeng, what does the golden-scaled fish that goes through the net eat? Suifeng said, I will tell you after you've come out of the net. Sanshin said, the teacher of 1,500 monks, and you can't say a turning word? Sui Feng replied, this old man is too busy with abbot's matters. That's the koan. Daito Roshi uh, added a commentary. Uh, he says, the net is elusive, appearing and disappearing. It creates edges that are non-existent. When it knows the net, the golden-scaled fish is inherently free in every way. <clears throat> but be, be that as it may, the golden fish who has passed through the net clearly does not eat ordinary food. What is its food? Sansheng is a distinguished adept. So why did Zuifeng say, I will tell you after you've come out of the net? Although Sansheng knew how to turn his the spear around, still old Suifeng remained poisonous. Can it be said that these two have passed through the net, or is that just harmonizing and delusion? This was always a very fascinating koan for me. Um, I did it a number of times with different teachers, and it's in the Blue Cliff Record, the Book of Equanimity, and now the 300 koan, Shobo Genzo. So... Dogen paid some attention to it as well. So Sansung asked Suifeng, what does the golden scale fish that goes through the net eat? And that's a pretty clear question for all of us. The golden scaled fish is a realized being. What is the net? We're studying the Four Noble Truths, and certainly the First Noble Truth among them, and the Eightfold Noble Path in the Sangha. We often say that practice realization is the path that addresses suffering. 
And this is the truth. Yet we should also understand that no one is realized in every way and through every cell in their body. And there's implications in that. At any moment, each of us has the potential, the ability to awaken and live from a realized perspective. At any moment, each of us can fall into deep delusion and create suffering for ourselves and all beings. All of us can suffer, although we may not always understand that what we're doing in this moment creates and perpetuates suffering. That's an important perspective. I mean, we may just be living the moment and it's fine and it seems fine and everything's okay. But maybe upon closer examination, something else is happening that we're not aware of. All of us can awaken. Moment to moment, reality is flowing on. So where do we find ourselves in this moment? This moment that's flowing on. For the practicing bodhisattva, there is no bottom to practice. Somebody uh, was telling me about the diamond net of Indra uh, that functions here that most of you are familiar with, in which it's a group of practitioners uh, local here and hopefully uh, soon to be at the temple um, who respond to uh, Sangha members who are ill, uh, challenged, um, physically, perhaps mentally, and the person who's pretty heavily involved said, now it's getting down to the real thing here. You know, it's, it's easy to idealize that and to think of how, as a practicing bodhisattva, we can step in um, and give a measured response. But sometimes the response needs not to be measured. And is that what we're signing up for? So for the practicing bodhisattva, there's no bottom to practice realization and no end to helping people in their pain. So wherever we are in practice, the question arises, what food do we eat? Where do we put our attention, our efforts, our energies? The net is the place we're caught in. We, meaning you and I, in the most personal sense. As well as in the society we live in, with all of its transmitted karma, the consequences of that karma, arising from our individual and collective greed, anger, and ignorance. We're in it. It's a part of who we are. 
This net is cast widely. I used to think that the Four Noble Truths was sequential. I was very comfortable with that. You know, show me a goal and I'm going there. First, you acknowledge and examine your suffering. Then through practice study, you begin to address the cause of my suffering. And Zazen shows that we don't have far to look. Then sequentially, as we begin to experience through practice that there's a possibility of freedom, we move on to beginning to address it. I'm free of it, or at least I'm working in the midst of being free of it. Good for me. End of struggle. But as we deepen the journey into this investigation of who we are, when some of the layers of ourself have been opened, having been hidden for our whole life from us, or really we've been hiding, often unknowingly, behind them, We're exposed to the rawness of the net and and being willing to see into this rawness. We begin, through practice, to have a very different perspective of what suffering means and what our personal relationship is to it. You may begin to appreciate that my suffering is our suffering. My self-centeredness causes suffering for our self-centeredness, our people, our folks, our sangha, and creates a karma of self-centeredness. My greed is your greed. Your greed is my greed. Same with your anger and delusion. Our practices and our delusions and our awakenings are completely entwined. Sometimes it's not obvious, but we look closer and we see it. And if you doubt this, just look at the state of the world. The destruction we're causing, the fear we're engendering, Together, we are doing this. I know more than a few people who have physical illness from watching the the current politics, the environment, the racial and associated issues that are present and obvious. I mean, they get sick. The sequentialness that we begin to experience through practice of the Four Noble Truths, that there's the possibility of freedom from suffering, changes. And deepens. 
and begins to get wider and more generous and wiser, if you will. So Zuyufang responds to the question of what is the food when you're out of the net? says, I will tell you after you've come out of the net. Daito Roshi in the footnote says, San Sing is a distinguished adept. So what does Zui Feng say, I will tell you after you've come out of the net? I mean, these, these are two realized practitioners. And yet Zuifeng throws the net right over Sun Xing, throws it right back over him. I mean, isn't Sun Xing realized, as Daito Roshi says? I thought he was out of the net, free. He himself said that. He's a well-known, realized practitioner. He's a disciple and eventual Dharma successor, I believe, to Rinzai, great master. Recognized master, recognized, widely known disciple. Is this a challenge to San Singh's presumptive insight? But what is realization? What does it mean to be realized? You can get the impression from these koans that it's a fixed and done deal. First you're deluded, then you're realized. Just like first you encounter suffering, then with deep practice, no suffering. Almost true but not quite. Something is missing from these kinds of understanding. Or rather, something is present that creates a misunderstanding of of what true freedom is. The net of our confusion is always one thought, one attachment away. And we have the fantastic ability the talent to attach to anything. And we just think of the things that give you great pleasure that you desire and what happens when you fulfill that desire. What's the next step? More? Different flavor? Less? Another desire, certainly. So what does it mean to be free of the net? There is being free of the net. Yet this freedom, or rather the thought of freedom, can become another net. We have a limitless supply of nets. Therefore, sale in the monastery store. 
There's also being free of the net, yet choosing to be in and around it. Isn't that interesting? Why would someone who has seen through the net stay inside it, still swimming in the midst of samsara? What has to be seen through to begin to be able to function with equanimity, equanimity and nonviolence in the midst of our own attachments and desires? It's a relevant question with the current political scene. What has to be seen? Not to hate will most subtly create violence. Not necessarily physical violence, although that certainly is there. As Buddhist practitioners, we have a responsibility to model this, to more than model this, to put it forth. It's not enough to be right, because right is always relative to wrong. And the karma of being right is painful. Even if you're pretty sure, if not 100% sure, you're right. In one sense, we're always within the net. I mean, it's the only place we can help others. If we ourselves have not experienced the net, not struggled with being caught in our self-absorption and habit, how would we be able to offer that, that wisdom, that love, to help others if we don't have that experience ourselves? How can we extend a helping hand without being pulled by the suffering deeper into the net? From deep within our zazen, the gateway to freedom comes into focus. And we can ask, do you see this net, your net? How big is it? What is it? Where is it? What are the conditions that create it? What are the conditions that you create to bring it forth? How does your mind move just before the net becomes visible or even worse, not visible, but you're struggling in it? Can we ask these questions to the very bottom of asking? Can you bring these questions forth and let it be seen in the brightness of Azazen? What's the bottom to these questions? It's in the question. Sui Feng said, I will tell you after you have come out of the net. So is there a coming out of the net or not? Certainly, if there is no freedom from our net, what are we doing here practicing, sitting these long hours? 
And if there's still some, some freedom from our net, how do our bodhisattva vows help all being, beings? To the other shore of awakening, how do they come into play? If there is some freedom from the net, how will that happen? In any case, Sansheng says, the teacher of 1,500 monks, and you can't say a turning word? Is that the best you can do? What's Sansung's reference point in asking this question? What's his reference point in asking what does the golden-scaled fish that goes through the net eat? Think about that for a moment. What's his reference point there? In Dido's commentary, he says, the net is elusive. Appearing and disappearing, it creates edges that are non-existent. I mean, think about when you're caught. You're caught by something, a, a fixed desire, an obsession, a direction, an energy that is just moving you towards. Nothing else exists. All our energy is directed towards that. It's very similar to a drug addict. If you've ever encountered or worked closely with a drug addict, every thought and conversation, no matter what the external topic, is about one thing. That's it. Now, I'm slightly oversimplifying it, but that's the essence of it. And yet, when the mind changes, what happened to that addiction, drive, desire? A mind broadened from this to perhaps this, unless we've substituted, substituted another addiction for that addiction. We're good at that, too. So it creates edges that are non-existent. When it knows the net, the golden scale fish is inherently free in every way. Knowing the net means knowing the processes of your own mind. The study of your own mind is showing you what your net is. But what is that study? How do you know that's the net? Well, one way to know is suffering. Sometimes it's subtle and just because we're so habit-bound, it's just something that makes us very uncomfortable. And we know that, but we may not acknowledge it because the karma is pretty cemented in. Sometimes we don't acknowledge it for a long time until our mind and body bring it so close to us, we can no longer ignore it. Be that as it may, 
Dadaroshi says, the golden fish who has passed through the net clearly does not eat ordinary food. What is its food? Sansung is a distinguished adept. So why did Zuifeng say, I will tell you after you've come out of the net? And when challenged, and note that, Sansung received an answer, but he didn't pause. He just said, that's the best you can do? Sui Feng replied, this old man is busy with habits matters. What about this? It's at the heart of this inquiry. Is this a realized answer or not? Is this an answer that says, well, I'm busy. There's a lot going on in my life. You know, um, I guess that's the food. Maybe it's the food. I don't know. Does that answer fall into realized or not realized? Looking closely, what's Sui Feng's reference point here? What's it based on? Is it based on being busy with Abbott's matters? Is it realized? Is it not realized? And in any case, what are the boundaries of this response? Where do these matters begin? Where do they end? What are his abbot's duties? What do we answer when a person of practice is asked, what do we eat when to whatever extent, maybe our first session, maybe our hundredth session, we have some freedom from our thoughts, some freedom from our habitual suffering. What is your food? This code is also interesting because sometimes when aggression, is that the best you can do, (laughs) is met with softness, it can be seen as being defeated, meaning the softness is being defeated. But within the Dharma, perhaps something else is going on. I'm reminded of a story I'm not particularly proud of, but I used to be prouder of it. Uh, Years ago, we had a basketball court on the grounds. 
And uh, there were games, and sometimes the games got a little rough. Maybe someone would fall. Maybe there was a broken arm here or a scratch there. Um, Your Honor, I've never been a member of the Communist Party, so I don't know anything about this. But um, in any case, Daito Roshi, who knew nothing about sports, zero, negative, uh, one day uh, came by in his Jeep and watched the games. And um, I knew he was watching. Um, And afterwards, uh, I came into the dining room, and he said, Hogan, I was watching you, and you are just pushing people around. And what came out of my mind is, what the fuck do you know about basketball? And Daito Roshi said, nothing. And for a long time, I told this story. And certainly there was no humility in me telling that story. If you know the koan of Toksan carries his bowls, there's some similarity there. Um, I mean, I basically put down Dido, defeated him in pseudo-athletic Dharma combat. (laughs) And that was my experience of it. Until I began studying this koan. Nothing. I, I can't quite capture his nothing. Now, Daito Roshi, as those who knew him, had a big personality. and was not uh, someone who took challenges lightly. Um, someone very near to me once called him the most competitive person he ever knew. We won't name who the second most competitive person Um, And yet, I mean, he could have squashed me like a bug. And he had that permission from me. Nothing. This also reminds me of uh, another koan. a little oblique, but it's from the Mumunkan. A monk, Seizu by name, said to Zhozan, I am poor and destitute. I beg you to bestow upon me the alms of salvation. This is a translation I have. Sozan said, Venerable Seize. Yes, sir. Sozan said, You've drunk three bowls of the finest wine in China, and yet you stay, yet you say you have not even wet your lips. How does that have a bearing on this color?
So what food do we eat as we practice? This practice is the practice of realizing the absolute basis of reality. That's what we're doing here in the most direct sense. It's to realize that everything we base our foundation on, our reference system on, is empty of any inherent and fixed being. That includes delusion. That includes realization. That includes the net. That includes you by your name and me by my name. And yet, if we're going to be free as a result of this practice and realization, it has to function. It has to live. It has to be in the world. That isn't always easy. It isn't easy because it's not always obvious what suffering is and what our contribution to that suffering is, what our karma is to that suffering. We do have everything we need. We have this practice. The question is, Do we have the willingness to question, deeply question, and need to continually remind us not to believe in everything we think, not to believe in everything we know, not to believe in everything we hold precious? We have to continually renew our faith in the three treasures. in the Buddha, the teachings, and the Sangha. And it has to be renewed. It has to be gone into again and again, not out of habit, but in the midst of our net, when we're caught. When your foot gets caught in that net, and you're struggling to pull it out and you can't, that's the most important time to renew it, to check yourself. What am I going to rely on at that time, at this time? And yet as we become more willing to make these commitments, as we become more determined to make these commitments, we more and more begin to see what the non-dual eye, our non-dual eye, of wisdom. You know, there's no measurement for this. There's no, well, we'll hold up uh, 
an instrument and it'll dial a degree of non-duality that we can see through. I mean, there's no way to to know this. It's just, the comparison I've used is is watching grass grow. Have you ever watched grass grow? When did it grow? Show me the moment when it grew. And so the challenge for us, having everything we need and being willing to use it, entering the Eightfold Path and being willing to address the suffering is crucial. I printed this up at the very, just a few minutes before, and I see I left out a section that I wanted to talk about briefly. Not all of our suffering is that we are involved in or create is visible to us. You have to really study it and really be open. So in this Sangha, for example, we're examining issues related to that. So I take that personally. What do I, as a male teacher, cis, sexuality, straight male, in a position of power and authority, what do I not see? What do I take for granted? What's the karma of me being here? How did I get here? And how did others not get here, wherever here is? What do I have that in me having is denied to others? For most of my life, these kinds of questions have been invisible. I mean, it just, I got what I got. It's mine. Thank you very much. But there's a karma there. karma that we can study, open up to, hear the voices of those who don't have the same opportunities, don't have the same opportunities because I have my opportunity. Those two things are connected. And there's more, much more to that. So that takes me to a questionnaire. So here's a questionnaire for you. Care of Wendell Barry. How much poison are you willing to eat for the success of the free market and global trade? Please name your preferred poisons. Fill in the blanks. You know, the farmers are using uh, Roundout to shrink the crops. I live in an area where the crops are grown, they're ripe, but they let them dry out. And to help that, they use Roundout, one of the poisons. Makes more money. 
for the sake of goodness. How much evil are you willing to do? Fill in the blanks with the names of your favorite evils and acts of hatred. What? You don't have any acts of hatred or evils? I don't believe you. What sacrifices are you prepared to make for culture and civilization? Please list the monuments, shrines, and works of art you would most willingly destroy. In the name of patriotism and the flag, how much of our beloved land are you willing to desecrate? List in the following spaces the mountains, rivers, towns, farms you most readily you you could most readily do without. We're doing that, right? State briefly the ideas, ideals, or hopes, the energy sources, the kinds of security for which you would kill a child. Name, please, the children who you'd be willing to kill. This is just a start. It's pretty visceral when you actually think in these terms. Visceral when you see and hear and feel the suffering so up close, so concrete that you can begin to hold responsibility for it simply because we're standing on our own two feet. That's what this practice is about. The, the role of the practice is to do away with the practice. That's the role. So that it's just you. Just you. Just you standing on your own two feet to be in your own life, speaking what is true, acting out of what is true, thinking what is bountiful and generous. Now, having seen this to a small degree and having suffered, seen suffering and its consequences splash all over your clothing, your hair, your face. What food will you eat? Because it's not enough to see it. It's not even enough to feel it, although those are very, very important starts. There's more. You have to fill in that blank. Thanks for listening. You can find more Dharma Talks, interviews, and events at zmm.org media. While online, please check out the Jizo Project, our multifaceted initiative to make Zen Mountain Monastery more accessible and welcoming to all. Learn about the new Jizo House building and accessibility enhancements to existing facilities that are just two aspects to this exciting endeavor. 
Find out more and see how you can get involved at zmm.org slash jizoproject. That's J-I-Z-O-P-R-O-J-E-C-T.